You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Welcome, my friends, to episode 212 of American Sex. I'm your host, Sunny Megatron, clinical sexologist, kink educator, and host of Showtime Sex with Sunny Megatron. And this week's topic is fluid relationships and alternatives to the binaries of monogamy versus polyamory. And our guest is sex positive therapist, Kate Lurie. Now, this is a crossover episode with Open Deeply, which happens to be my other podcast. And on Open Deeply, we talk about all sorts of sex positive, alt-sex, and alt-relationship topics. And a big one is consensual non-monogamy and polyamory, since my co-host Kate Lurie's specialty as a psychotherapist is those topics. Now, if you've ever felt dissatisfied with the two prominent relationship choices, you know, polyamory or monogamy, then you're not alone. We don't hear much about the many other options that lie between those two opposite ends of the spectrum, nor do we hear a lot about how to customize your consensually non-monogamous relationships and how to ebb and flow when what's right for you or what's right for your partner changes over time and with circumstances. So some of what we touch on in this conversation, the significance of intention and customizable relationships, anxiety and jealousy, parenthood and fluid relationships, honesty and relationship dynamics, mindfulness and communication, couples privilege, fluid relationships versus relationship anarchy, and a lot more. But before we get there, you know what we got to do. We have to wash the balls. That's our ball washing noise, which is housekeeping here on American sex. In other words, this is when I briefly tell you about need to know things or just, you know, cool to know things or just things. This time is things. I'm going to start with the check-in. So how y'all doing? Uh, the world is a, a little bit rough right now, and that is an understatement. That's putting it way lightly. I'm with you. If you're like, ah, you know, everything's fine as you're sitting in a dumpster that's on fire. Yeah, I'm next to you. Look to your left. Now, as you know, myself and Ken and our family are in the midst of the biggest move of our lives, the biggest decision of our lives. And if you're not caught up on recent episodes, we're moving to Portugal, but it's like a whole, whole thing. But on top of it, everything that's happening right now, that trash fire that we're sitting in is a lot. Uh, First, 
So those of you who are connected to the BDSM community, we got some sad news. You might be familiar with Jackie Harris, aka Bebe Blue Eyes. Now she's on the board of the NCSF, that's a National Coalition for Sexual Freedom for many, many years, even a guest on American Sex, episode 185. If you've attended BDSM conventions, especially those in the Midwest, there is a very good chance that you saw and visited with and laughed with Bebe at the NCSF table, which is where Ken and I met her years ago. Well, sadly, Jackie passed away unexpectedly earlier this month, which is October of 2023. And whew, that was a real blow to a lot of people. So if you're someone who is connected to our beloved, wonderful Bebe Blue Eyes, our heart is broken right along with you. And we are sending our condolences and our sympathies and everyone else, you know, please light a candle, send some vibes, some prayers, whatever it is you do to send those well wishes and to pay your respects, please do so. I also know that in lieu of flowers, the NCSF was accepting donations in Jackie's name, which is an organization she gave herself to every second for years. And I know that those donations are always welcome to that organization as well. So that's one thing that's going on. But, you know, in, in the bigger world, we're watching also a genocide unfold in the Middle East and the absolute shit show of polarization and internet bickering and all sorts of stuff that is a ripple effect from this. And a lot of this is hitting pretty close to home for me and quite a few of my loved ones. So I haven't been as vocal as I usually am on social media about this, I have been retelling quite a bit of information, mainly on TikTok. There's really good information on TikTok. And that's really about all I can muster right now. And, you know, also since my, my personal life, my personal persona is my professional persona, I don't draw any distinction or play a role or anything. I, I, have my friends and my business people and my followers, they're all in one big pot together. So I don't want to subject my people who really do have like real skin in this very real game uh, to a bunch of like devil's advocate internet bickering over things that for them are very immediate, very real, very life or death for a lot of those folks. I do want to say a few things, though. Um, reminders, I guess, if you will. You know, I want to remind folks that you can speak out against what the Israeli government is doing without being anti-Semitic. Not all Jews are Zionists. Not all people who live in Israel or all Jewish people are Zionists. And also those who, who are Israelis who are normally pretty vocal about their stance on, you know, being anti-occupation or anti-Zionist and pro-Palestinian, it was already dangerous for them to go out to protests and to speak publicly against their government before. So now it's really dangerous 
for them to talk openly about it now. So we're not hearing a lot of those voices. But I want to remind folks that like, this isn't sports teams, you know, like if you're if you're pro Palestinian, that doesn't mean you can't also be horrified over the death and violence that's happening to any and all people who are victims of their government and, you know, structural systems, etc. And on the flip side, you know, if you are someone who is pro-Palestinian or you are discussing things with someone who is pro-Palestine, that doesn't necessarily mean they're pro-Hamas. There's a lot of cases of two things can be true at once in this situation. And I also want to give a reminder to folks, and this is just based on a lot of the talk that I'm seeing, etc. I want to remind you that Judaism is an ethno-religion, meaning some ethnically Jewish people are of other religions or of none at all, and vice versa. Also, no matter if we're talking about ethnicity or religion or both, not all Jews are white. For instance, there are Black Jews, many of which see all the things that people are saying and all the misinformation and the assumptions and the polarization and the anti-Semitism and the like pro-genocide of brown people, right? It's a lot. And they hear people talking in line at Starbucks. They, They hear comments all over the place. And it's really, really hard for lots of folks. Now, there's a running commentary that we hear in this conflict. And it's like, oh, you know, this, this conflict is complicated. It's really, it's so complicated. And in a lot of ways, that can stem from propaganda, right? To make people who aren't intimately close with this history and this conflict think, well, it's so above their heads that even if their gut is telling them like something's not right with everything that's going on, well, you know, I, it's so complicated. I just must not know, you know, what what's happening. I'm not grasping something because it really can't be this simple, can it? And really, that part isn't the complicated part. Genocide is wrong. It's pretty easy to figure out right? The complicated part, and I wouldn't even say complicated, probably nuanced is a better word, are the parts, you know, some of which I just mentioned. That's what's being glossed over. And that's what I keep seeing in it. I keep seeing it cause huge swaths of people to oversimplify everything and, and treat everything as, you know, very black and white and, and binary. And well, if one side's right, the other side's wrong. And oh, they must be decimated and fuck these people, you know, uh, you know, hence the anti-Semitism, etc. And that does nobody any good. You know, this is a big, big issue. And I am exhausted for many, many, many reasons about this and and lots of other things. Hence, I am not the most eloquent about this stuff, either right now or online, which, which is why I haven't been making a lot of my own content about this. But when I do come across stuff, like I said, especially on TikTok, I repost it. So watch some of those things if you want to learn more. And for those of you going like, Jesus, this... 
politics. This is a sex podcast. What the hell? Why are we talking about this? You haven't been listening to this podcast very long then, have you? You know, here the personal is very much political. Systemic oppression, exploitation, imperialism, uh, racism, nationalism, fascism, and every other ism that you can think of are directly tied to our sense of identity, our relationships, our, our community, our happiness, our joy, our shame, and our sexuality too. And if you know all that, right, but you're still like, but I don't like your stance on this issue. I don't like that you're saying that there's a Palestinian genocide unfolding right before our very eyes on social media and on TV. Or you don't like my reminder that Judaism and Zionism are two different things and our failure to not keep that at top of mind and, and us forgetting that nuance is essentially boils down to us speaking out against one form of ethnic cleansing by way of swapping it out for another. And that's not okay either. So if you feel all that, that's fine. Then maybe this isn't the podcast for you, right? And I'm not the sexologist for you. I'm not the educator for you. And that is perfectly okay. Over the summer, we got an Apple review and I'll read it to you. Uh, the headline says, stay on topic and out of politics. And the text says, some good info, possibly, but they can't keep their political opinions out of the conversation. So I guess right now, this is my opportunity to reply to that glowing one-star review. And um, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Thank you very much. That's not what American Sex Podcast is all about. And it's not what we do here. And that's okay, because we are just one of hundreds, possibly, probably thousands of podcasts about sex, relationships, society, culture, and all of us are free to choose what kind of media we want to consume, right? I mean, unless it's a banned book, <laughs> but they haven't really gotten to podcasts yet. So for podcasts, you're good. Like listen to whatever you want. And I wish you luck in finding a podcast that suits you better than this one. And that's that on all of that. So in other news, I should probably quickly tell you about the other things I usually do here. And I'm going to make it real quick because I just, I don't have it in me right now, you know? So visit the links in the show notes, get some free resources there and on-demand classes, visit our sponsors, etc. If you appreciate my work or this podcast, please give us a review. You know, no matter what it is, if it's a one-star review, cool. If it's a five five or four, how many ever start the most stars? You know, better. But uh, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're the boss of you. And so, whoo, let's like shake that all out. Ah, there's lots of stuff. Oh, my God. Ah. Right now, we're going to go from one set of like really mind-bending nuances to another that's more on topic for this podcast. Here is Kate Lurie and me talking all about non-monogamy and fluid relationships. Oh, 
Oh, oh, look, I'm distracted. Here is uh, the clean ball noise. These balls are clean. Let's get to the conversation. So, Sunny, when I wrote my book, Open Deeply, I didn't know what was going to resonate for people. But for a lot of folks, it was the following quote about fluid relationships. Here it goes. Today, I no longer identify as non-monogamous, but rather fluid. You might run into other definitions of fluid, but here's mine. A relationship or person that may shift from monogamy to non-monogamy, depending on what suits all partners involved in their changing life circumstances. A fluid relationship is not trapped within the confines of non-monogamy. Instead, a fluid relationship inherently has the full range of freedom to shift across the continuum from extreme monogamy on one end of the spectrum and then to extreme non-monogamy on the other end as life changes. Such relationships have the greatest ability to adapt to emotions and needs, and thus the highest ability to survive over time. I think many couples that define themselves as non-monogamous, polyamorous, or swingers are actually often in fluid relationships. The term non-monogamy was born as a result of a pendulum swing away from monogamy. I believe we've grown past such reactionary binary terms. When we dig our heels in and proclaim to be rigidly monogamous or non-monogamous out of fear of the challenges that a more flexible stance might bring, we are in danger of mistuning with what is truly ideal for us in any given moment. So that's, that's the paragraph that a lot of people have something to say to me about, you know, uh-huh. like a lot of, there's a lot of people that are like, wow, that, that never occurred to me that for a lot of people, it's a relief. Yeah. Like, because so many people want to do non-monogamy right. And so they, a lot of times they start listening to the dogma. Yep. You know, yep. yeah. and then they feel trapped in this little box of what it can be and who they should be. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because like for me, and this is just like my approach to relationships and life, really. Um, it never dawned on me that it would be anything other than this, which is interesting, you know? And it's like, of course, when you bring it up, I'm like, of course, like it is, it's human nature. And I deal with this a lot, you know, with, with people in the King community that when you, learn about a new identity or a new part of yourself and you learn about the quote rules of whatever that is you do stick to them like they are dogma like this is this is what i'm supposed to do this is what the rule book says you mean i can i can change it up according to what my and my partner's needs are what you know and it's like yeah that's that's super common yeah but yeah especially when people are new they get so rigid. I, you know, I haven't done any public speaking lately. Um, well, uh, that's not true. I did in Costa Rica. But um, when I'm speaking to an audience, a lot of times they'll ask me the question, uh, so how does non-monogamy look? And when I tell them it's custom made that you can, you know, it's, it's like a custom made suit or dress, they always give me the scrunchy face. You know, they, they want to be told what it looks like. Yeah. And the idea of it being this amorphous thing 
is is kind of terrifying to a lot of folks. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I think back in school, right? When you, let's say your your teacher or professor or whoever said, okay, you, it, our final, your final project, it's this big research paper that you have to work on, you know, and it's like, okay, cool. And then they're like, and it can be on whatever subject you want. And you're like, I don't get choice. What do you mean? Whatever subject? Like, I don't even know where to begin. Give me an idea of where I can go with it. Like, that was always the worst when it was an open-ended assignment. And I feel like, you know, when we talk about kink or non-monogamy or whatever, anything in life being customizable, if it's new to us, we don't have examples of like what we can do, like all the possibilities. And you know, I, I look and we've brought this up so many times before on different podcasts about different subjects were really the same thing. You know, we're all talking about the same thing. It's like when we're scared and we don't know and we're insecure, then that like rigidity, I don't know why I can't say that word, but that's when that becomes like our comfort. Like, okay, I have something to anchor to. I know what the rules are, even if the rules are kind of rigid and constricting and maybe not the the best and the healthiest for everyone involved. At least there's someone told me what the assignment was, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and that, that brings a que- uh, up a question, you know, in terms of like, I don't, I don't really feel like um, uh, that when you say fluid versus rigid, that that is inherently saying one is better than the other. I think, you know, there there's fluid yeah, there's fluid relationships that are toxic and fluid relationships that are healthy. There's rigid relationships that are healthy and rigid relationships that are toxic. You know, and it's just like, okay, so that's an interesting thing to think about. Like when would a more rigid relationship be the more healthy option, you know? Yeah. Like and it may be when you're when you're new and you're scared and you don't and you're kind of like a little baby falling on your butt and falling on your face or maybe you've decided to be uh, you know, swingers and you like that structure. I don't know. What do you think? Do you feel like there's times when a rigid model is actually healthier? Absolutely. And I I think that, you know, again, I'm I'm, I'm like likening everything back to kink, but the, all of this stuff is so similar. Yeah. I often say it's it's not exactly what specifically you're doing or not doing. It is the intention behind why and how you're doing it. So what's underneath these rigid rules? What's the motivation for them? If it's, I'm insecure and I need to control what you're doing because, you know, I, I have this, I don't know, jealousy that I'm pretending I don't have, but I really do. And so I'm controlling you with these rigid rules versus these rigid rules right now make sense for the bigger picture or the greater good based on our specific circumstances right now or long term or whatever it is. So yeah, it's to me, it's not the what, it's the why. Yeah, yeah, the intention and the why that makes sense. Like if if you have a partner that you know, whether you're in a non monogamous relationship, a kink relationship, or a, a fusion of the two, if you have like, say, a dom who is, you know, keeping you isolated from other people he has all these rigid rules and and you know when you check inside your body you you feel a knife drop you know like it doesn't feel safe these rigid rules actually may be indicators that you're in an abusive relationship you know sometimes it's sometimes it's hard to tell or even with the anxiety like you're mentioning the anxiety that can get tricky because a lot of people that come off as 
anxious or experiencing anxiety, they can be controlling. So they can come off as controlling to their partner, whereas they are just trying to manage their anxiety. And like, where does the anxiety come from? It may come from, you know, just the newness of non-monogamy, or it could be some of their unresolved attachment injuries from their childhood are getting triggered by non-monogamy. So then it becomes very difficult to know, like, it, it, that's something to sometimes talk out with a therapist or really slow down and, and cool your jets when you're running into that because you don't want to make your partner suffer by being controlling with your anxiety. But at the same time, if non-monogamy or kink is causing so much anxiety that you're having panic attacks and stuff, that is an in indicator that you need to slow down. So when do you, I'm just curious what your thoughts are, like when is anxiety something to, uh, when is anxiety in your mind uh, just, just being controlling and a bad thing? And when do you think it's like a, a telltale sign that you need to slow down? And I'm just curious. It's like such a, it, this it's is a, something yeah. that comes up in my private practice all the time. It's, it's a really delicate balance and it's really individual for everyone. But I think, you know, there is, um, I don't know, a, a something at the center of this. And again, it goes back to like, how are you approaching this and why and what's underneath it? And mm -hmm. in order to like, you know, what I'm about to say requires a lot of self-awareness. It requires being able to look into the future or plan into the future of re your relationship and your, you know, emotional development, both alone and together and like strategize out a few moves. But to say, like, if you're really anxious and like your logic brain goes, no, everything's fine. Blah, 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 but inside you're like, bah! and you need <laughs> to like have those rigid rules to maybe baby step into things because this is yeah. new to you to be able to have the self-awareness to say look i know right. that like this can come off as controlling etc cetera, etc cetera, but i'm having a really hard time getting used to this wrapping my head around non-monogamy this is new what do you say you know we dip our slow toes in slowly or we put the training wheels on a little bit maybe at first you know we have you know, these, I don't know, five rigid rules, you know, just as an example. Um, and then as we talk things out, you know, we peel one back. Maybe mm -hmm. we peel another one back and we work through that together. So it's like managing that anxiety that you know is there that you can't just ignore and go, well, don't be anxious. Like right. that, if that worked, oh, our lives would be great. Um, <laughs> but to have that strategy to be like, this is a crutch or, you know, training wheels that I need right now for a purpose. Again, it's that intention behind it. Right. But in the long run, the goal is to take those training wheels off because relying on those in the long run might feed into being controlling and, you know, not the intention that you really intended to have going into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one way in my practice that I help people clarify, because a lot of times there's confusion that's also paired with it. And a lot of times I'll do EMDR with, with one person in the relationship, the one experiencing anxiety, I'll bridge back and find out what it's triggering, ideally clear that out. And once, once that is dialed down, that trigger that comes from childhood, 
then there's this clarity that happens and they have a better idea of what they need in terms of boundaries. Right. You know, and they yeah. can and and from that place they they probably will come off as less controlling as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. You know, I I thought maybe we would talk about our own personal experiences a little bit about re- related to fluidity versus non-monogamy. I mean, I I know for me there was a couple of times that I um really was grateful for the fact that in my uh, marriage to my now ex-husband that we did have that fluidity. Like, for instance, when I was building my private practice, I had to replace my job at the hospital. And so I was working, I would get to the hospital at like nine Mm -hmm. and then I'd leave the hospital and then I'd go to private practice and I'd work till, you know, nine to 10 at night. You know, it was just like crazy. And I was working on the weekends, like all of this. And, you know, Richard was basically like, you know, I I feel like I should just focus and support you. So during that time, we didn't see anybody. We Mm. just kind of, we were monogamous in practice during that time. And he just had my back and I'd come home just exhausted and we'd watch a little bit of TV. And that was kind of like our life for a couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, and that was, that was super helpful. Um, I'm just wondering if there's been a time that stands out for you where you went from non-monogamy to, or yeah, non-monogamy to being monogamous in practice for a time due to some reasons. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and like your story, I feel like the ebbs and flows that I've had um, with my current partner, who's really the only one that I've been non-monogamous with, and it's been, what, like four, 14 years, 15? It's been a long time. Uh, we ebb and flow together. So it's worked out really well, you know? And mm-hmm. it hasn't been, I know some people will, you know, maybe there's, uh, like you were working a lot, or somebody like, oh, they're having a baby, or there's a big major life change, or, you know, there's a time where, their relationship might be under stress. So it's it's a good time to just like focus inward, you know, for whatever uh, reason mm-hmm. or amount of time. Um, we haven't had really had anything like that. But like even right now, we're kind of sort of monogamous-ish just because of circum- – like it's covid is you know mm-hmm. we're both very covid conscious we don't go out um i really like eh, i could take or leave it i'm just busy i don't care you know i don't care if my partner has other partners it's just like for me it's like i don't have time for uh, right. but just more out of circumstance like it just doesn't feel right right now but that could change tomorrow yeah. um but i'm curious i'm curious that you know for me, it's been relatively easy, but I'm thinking, okay, if I were a different couple in a different circumstance, what if, let's say there's some major life changer, I feel like, oh yeah, we should take this time out to be more monogamous right now. And maybe my partner kind of feels that too, but one of us has a current partner. Do we break up with that partner? Like, how does that work? Yeah. Like let's, let's maybe give an example that's, um, let, let, let's come up with an example, like two two different scenarios. Okay. Um, let's say um, Sadie and who do we want to name them? Sadie and Justin. Okay. So in the first example, um, well, in both examples, they have an intention to be more fluid and just kind of go with the flow with life and apply that to non-monogamy. Um, but in one situation, they've always just been swingers. Mm-hmm. So they're not really 
emotionally attached to any, anybody in a deep way. Mm-hmm. And in and in example B, uh, you know, and in both of these examples, they have decided that they're going to be monogamous in practice when they get pregnant mm-hmm. and they're working on getting pregnant. In the second example, they both have outside partners. So, you know, this is this is an interesting thing to look, you know, compare and contrast because in the first example, because the issue is couples privilege, right? Right. And treating other people like they are, are human beings with heartbeats. Right. In the first example with the swingers, you know, you can pretty much lock down and and focus on being pregnant and having the baby and and maybe focusing on the baby a year out or what have right. you, and nobody's hurt, and there's right. no you just you know? stop going to orgies, like you know, <laughs> and stop going to the swing club, like yeah, like, right, right. But in the second example, uh, you know, there's these other partners, and so so maybe we can bat that around because, like, okay, so let's imagine that Sadie and Justin are aware of couples privilege, mm-hmm. you know? And so what if, you know, from the get-go, when they meet these other partners, they say, um, you know, we are full tilt poly. We, we have, you know, we're looking to have deep connections with people, but just so you know, we are trying to get pregnant. We've made an agreement that we're going to lock things down and focus on the baby once, you know, once um, we're pregnant, and then we might lock down everything for like a couple of years. And at that point, these other partners can either decide to stay or not, they can like make their own adjustments, you know, either, let's say they stay, they might decide how often they want to see them, all that. This isn't a perfect solution because we mm-hmm. know that people even, you know, this is a very logical way to look at it, but at least you're giving the other people agency. But at the end of the day, people do catch feelings. So yeah. I'm wondering what you think about this. Yeah, you know, I think that in that scenario, if, you know, when you meet or start dating or whatever the other partner and you disclose like this is the situation, you you now have informed consent to continue with this relationship or not. Okay. You know what I mean? Every kind of relationship is different. There are some people that approach their relationships very like in the moment we are into each other. We are having a good time, but shit changes and that's okay. And that's, you know, they kind of take a more, you know, Zen approach to things. Cool. But that is, this is a perfect example Mm -hmm. where people are playing, you know, the, the strategy many moves out, knowing how they might feel a year from now, Mm -hmm. knowing exactly, you know, how their non-monogamy journey might bring things up for them. And that's all fine and dandy, but that's usually, I don't think, you know, that feels very like these people are so self-aware and they have an emotional crystal ball and they know exactly what's going to happen in the future. Like usually in, in practice, when these things happen, it's like, huh, shit's weird and funky. I wonder why, huh? We need, we should probably make a new relationship or like we're reactionary in our planning. And that's not a bad thing. It's just like, you know, we gain, um, perspective 
mm-hmm. through experience. And if we've never experienced that before, how are we supposed to know what we're going to need once we get pregnant? Right. You know what I mean? Um, it's so, difficult. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, then I think about that situation where it's like, yeah, we've got other partners and and sure, we're trying to get pregnant, but it never dawned on us that that would affect our relationships until we're like really into it. And we're like, oh, shit. OK, we need to make a relationship agreement. So now we have to go to our partners and be like, so guess what? And then that feels real shitty. And it's like, it. yeah, we could like, y- y- you know, talk in theory about in a perfect situation, we would disclose this and talk about our feelings and tell that. And blah, blah. But how often does that happen? Like, is this just like, fuck situations are going to happen? Like, is there a good way yeah. for people to handle this? So now it's almost sounding like a harm reduction model, you know, yeah. it almost sounds like, you know, like when you want to think about heroin versus methadone, like right. we're trying to create like methadone isn't great, but it's better than heroin, right? You know, right. it's like, so letting these other partners know in advance um, does require a lot of emotional intelligence even to get to that place. Right. You know? Um and, but and then, it's better. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, and, and this is where it gets difficult and tricky mm-hmm. is, of course, this this couple who is getting pregnant or got pregnant or whatever, um, they have this connection. They're nesting partners. They're making right. other humans together. Even right. if in their non-monogamy, they're trying as hard as they can to not be hierarchical. Right. There are certain life circumstances that like thrust that hierarchy back at us, like being a parent, having like the needs of your kids. Um, You know, again, in a perfect world, no, but in reality, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know. And maybe it's, it's that, okay. Husband and wife talk about it. They think, okay, probably the best decision is for us to just be monogamous for a couple of years. But mm-hmm. before we make that final decision, let's talk it over with our other partners and mm-hmm. say, between us talking, this seems like the best solution, but what's y- y'all's input? And then maybe mm-hmm. there's some sort, maybe, you know, maybe they're like, you know what? Cool. You know, d- like, get on with your starting a family. That's fine. They might be like, no, you know, I'm really attached. How about uh, there's some sort of, I don't know compromise or alternate solution where maybe they don't spend as much time together or maybe they spend more time together as you know a foursome and not in a sexual way but in a more like it takes a village community way like hey we'll come over and like make you guys lunch and help you help you with the baby and like we'll just you know, take the focus off of the the sexual, you know, one-on-one aspect of the relationship and maybe shift the dynamic for everyone a little bit. Like, yeah. you know, but that yeah. takes a whole lot to well, be think, able to do that. Yeah. Well, I think even just the first part that you mentioned, like just talking to the other partners and saying, this is what we're thinking about doing. What are your feelings rather than like coming, coming down on them, just being like, this is the way, you know? Mm -hmm. And I I guess another thing that, you know, and then once they say their opinions, 
you know, this is a dialogue, right? You know, right. it doesn't dictate that you're just going to say yes to whatever they would prefer. It's it's a dialogue, but just asking seems considerate. Um, and then another thing that you could throw in the mix if we're, you know, again, we're doing this, um, perf- you know, getting as perfect as we can related to this stuff. And at the end of the day, it it is way more messy usually, uh-huh. is that if you know, if a couple knows that they're trying to get pregnant, then they could try and really choose partners that do um, do seem really stable emotionally. You know, um, because let's face it, if you bring in a partner that's very fragile emotionally, you know, they struggle with a lot of uh, mental health issues, you know, they're struggling with a lot of unresolved stuff. And you tell them, just so you know, we're going to we're trying to get pregnant. And when we get pregnant, we're going to start to close things down or, or it's we're going to simplify things. We'll keep a dialogue with you. Um, and hear your input, but it'll, we're probably going to get way more simple mm-hmm. with our non-monogamy at that point. Even if you do that, if you do, if you're dating someone who's super fragile, the chances that they might get attached and be really hurt when you kind of pull back is heightened. Whereas if you choose somebody who, you know, maybe has their own partner or partners, they're feeling really stable, they're happy, that it seems like that reduces the chance of um, doing injury. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that goes for yourself if you're one of the couples, like maybe all partners, this is what's going to happen, we're all cool with it, and then it happens and you're like... (gasps) But I miss my other partner. I didn't think I was going to. I don't know if I can do this. I don't. You know what I mean? Um, right. Yeah. Oh God, it's messy and complicated. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And it's just you know I I hear a lot of people. Sometimes it's people that are still at a stage in their life where they're fancy free. You know, they're going to Burning Man and they're just dating different people. They're not living with anyone. They're not married. They don't have kids, and they're very dogmatic about um you know that that couples privilege is 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 the most evil thing in the world and you know and it's like yes we need to be very mindful of couples privilege it can do all kinds of damage but it's like once you get married once you have kids once you have responsibilities it gets way harder and mm-hmm. and i think the older you get in life the 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 more you honor how difficult it is. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The brand that took you or your special someone's balls to space is now launching them into the ultrasphere. Introducing Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Yep, 5.0. It's high tech for those low places. And speaking of low, you can get the brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra and more by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping if you use the code SUNNY. 
You know, we all know how dangerous it can get when going in for a close shave below the belt. And that's why I trust Manscaped for those sensitive areas. Manscaped's fifth generation trimmer features two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little off the top and a new foil blade for that smooth finish. It also features dual LED spotlights that provide contrast on multiple skin tones. It's waterproof too. And for you jet setters, the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra comes with a travel case and has a travel lock too. Manscaped is on the cutting edge of cutting pubes. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. Hey, it's time to go ultra with Manscaped. Whether you're cozily lounging at home or stuck in a long commute, Dipsy Stories is your passport to a world of thrilling adventures and unforgettable encounters. What is Dipsy? It's an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. You can discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. Dipsy has stories for both straight and queer listeners, plus over 50% of their stories are voice acted by people of color. And now you can listen to spicy audios by your favorite TikTok creators. They're attentive to your every need and prioritize your every pleasure. And of course, they have voices that will make you melt. Dipsy also has soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories to read too. The best part is Dipsy releases new content every single week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. Yeah, that's 30 days of full access absolutely free when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny. That's dipsystories.com slash sunny. It's like once you get married, once you have kids, once you have responsibilities, it gets way harder. And mm-hmm. and I think the older you get in life, the 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 more you honor how difficult it is. Right. Yeah. It it's really complex. And you know, then there's the separating the the logic from the feelings. You know, mm-hmm. it's like Maybe I'm that other partner and I logically understand why mm-hmm. it makes that you don't have as much bandwidth, you don't have as much time, your focus mm-hmm. is on, you know, starting this new family, etc. And I get that up here in the front of my head. Right. But, you know, my feelings are like, but now I feel abandoned. I feel triggered. Like, you know, that you were, you were talking about attachment injuries get triggered. Um, and you c- can't always just logic your way out of those feelings. Yeah. Right. 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 So this is not a perfect science. And we're just batting this around. That's why we're having this discussion, because uh-huh. it's like, uh, 
a lot of times people just, you know, they have this way that they want to do non-monogamy and then they, they don't have the, they don't think in advance of the different ways. Like back in the day, a lot of people might not know this reference anymore, the, but the choose your own adventure novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is, you know, using that same idea within non-monogamy, I think is very helpful because I have so many clients that will just tell their other partners uh, what they need to hear in order to feel good versus saying, um, I really feel connected to you, but these are different ways. Um, these are different ways that I may change in the future related to non-monogamy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I might stay with different partners. I might get married and decide to have kids and decide to be monogamous. I might, you know, like to at least tell your partner like the different ways that um, that you as an individual might show up within relationships at least gives people um, some ability to, to wrap their head around alternate versions of reality that could yeah. unfold. Yeah. And, and again, I go back to like, that's hard because are all of us that self-aware? I think of myself like I I don't know if it's my neurodivergence, if it's, you know, whatever, but like I have a hard time even conceptualizing the future. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how I'm gonna be feel whatever in a six months when some major life change happens. Like, how am I supposed to be like just so you know, in two years, I might feel like that. Like, I don't know how I'm going to feel in five minutes. Like, <laughs> you know, like, what? so yeah. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. Like, again, yeah. in a perfect world, we'd be like, yes, this is exactly what's going to happen. But in reality, we're not that self-aware and we don't have crystal balls and we don't know. We've never been through these experiences before. This is all true. It's all true. I mean, all I think all we can do is bat all this stuff around because a lot of times what I, you know, as I said, what I see people doing is is giving their partner the impression, like if they have a partner and maybe they've even said, look, I love dating you, but you're not, you're not the person that I'm going to end up marrying me, marrying and they do want to get married at some point in their life. Maybe they've even said that. But a lot of times they've given that person the impression that they will always be with, you know, be with them as long as the connection is there. And then they meet that person that they do want to marry. And then, boom, they just shut everything down, you know, and that happens all the time, you know, whereas if you at least say to the person, look, you know, I'm really into you, but I might end up being monogamous with the person that I fall in love with. You know, I I don't know. I think sometimes people can have enough hindsight to to disclose these things. A lot. Of, I mean, they they talk to me about it as their therapist. The yeah. difference is not having the. They do have the hindsight, or not the hindsight. They do have the ability to imagine themselves in the, in different scenarios. The reason they don't usually tell their partner is because they're trying to manage, they're trying to create as much harmony as possible. Right. They don't yeah. want to mm-hmm. have the discord that comes with saying, look, one day we might not be together because I want to get married or, yeah. or I want to have kids. Yeah. You know, this uh, reminds me of, we had a conversation with Dedeker and in our conversation, um, the concept of meta communicating was brought up. And mm-hmm. then I had seen a TikTok and it was from 
a therapist who was, I believe, autistic. And for the life of me, I cannot remember who it was. Uh, If I find it, I'll like, you know, give it to you. We'll put it in the show notes or something. But this concept illuminated meta communication in relationships to me like like I intuitively knew but I couldn't explain. So um mm-hmm. and and he was saying this as someone who is autistic like autistic folks often and I very much relate to this automatically have this sort of ability to be in the emotion and be in the moment and also step back and be in like the cognitive logic of what's going on behind the emotion. And mm-hmm. the example that he gave was like, you know, it's like me and my spouse are arguing and we are mm-hmm. in it and my spouse is in it. Like that is her whole world. But mm-hmm. he's like, for me, I see that we're, we're in a play and we're two characters on a stage. Yeah. And I can be the character on stage in it and I can also be backstage talking about what the characters are doing. And and he's like, I've approached life thinking that everybody could both be on stage and be backstage at the same time. And he's like, I realize like the neurotypical way of thinking is like the only thing is the stage. There is no we're going to talk backstage about what our characters are doing with their feelings right now. And he's like, it always fucked me up. Like people just treated me like, what are you? How how come in the middle of this argument, you're like bringing this logic into it? And when I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, because when I when I'm in conflict with people. I talk to them about what's going on with our feelings as if we are backstage discussing what our characters are doing. And I don't realize they are still their character. And they're like, what are you talking about? But, and I'm but, like, but, but, yeah, go ahead. But this is fascinating to me. Basically, what he's describing is mindfulness. This is yeah. what I teach all my yeah. clients, you yeah. know, that I, all my couple clients. I'm like, you, I, you know, I always talk to them about, you need to get to where, a place where you can watch the Becky and Bob show, like mindfully yeah, watching that. You yeah. can train. I remember being in my 30s. I'm 54 now. And I was like that. I was just in it. And then somebody talked to me about, about mindfulness. And the first time I heard the concept of watching the Kate show, I thought it sounded crazy pants. But then I trained myself right. to do it. And now I train other folks to do it. So people can make that switch. And I think that's, uh-huh. you know, when I talk about having a conscious, compassionate relationship in my book, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. And and I like for the life of me, I hope I liked this video. It was a while ago. If I can't find it and anyone listening knows who I'm talking about, please tweet us with like a link to the video or the the creator that talked about this because it was brilliant. But he was saying that um, so once he realized this, he invented like, you know, a kind of a code word for when he was in some heated debate or argument or whatever with his wife is like, hey, wait can we talk backstage? And that mm-hmm. like was the cue to like, let's like bring ourselves out of the intense emotion and really try to like, look at, you know, when I say why well, did this because it's not because I'm giving an excuse. It's because like, I'm just trying to figure out like, well, I was doing this. And I thought that and now I know it's wrong. But so why were you doing that? And how do we end up here? Like we were, we're just figuring out what how our characters got where they got not make an excuse. And just like that one code word of like, let's talk off stage helps them in their debates. So 
Yeah, when I yeah. heard that, I was like, oh, my God, that's what I keep trying to do in my arguments. But nobody, I'm the only one that knows I'm backstage. And I didn't know to tell anyone else that. Yeah, yeah. people have to be trained to do that. They, mm-hmm. you have, but they can do it. And, you know, it, it's interesting. So that's that's Buddhism. And what's what's so interesting is is having that mindfulness, I think, is a big piece of the puzzle that allows a relationship to start to move towards a fluid relationship. Mm-hmm. And that that brings me to like that basic Buddhist formula of um, suffering equals pain plus resistance. So, yeah. you know, like to give you an example, like if somebody is in a traffic jam, the person that's practicing buddhism would probably just be like okay i'm in this traffic jam i can't do a damn thing about it i'm just going to listen to some books on tape so they have the pain of the traffic jam but they're not resisting it so they don't have suffering versus the person that's like god damn it and they're screaming at everybody and they're throwing a fit they're not moving they're not it's not helping them in any way but they're just they're and so they're suffering because they're yeah they've got the pain plus the resistance you know uh-huh. and and so i think with fluidity in life it is a more buddhist way to uh move through life where you're just noticing what you need or what feels in tune and what's the most authentic in any particular movement and at, at, at any juncture in your life. And it's just kind of like being water. Yeah. Where, you know, um, so that becomes easier to do if you are a non-monogamous person that is single. So I'm not talking about solo poly. I'm talking about a non-monogamous person that's single. You can just be in that Buddhist flow of life and just do whatever feels right in the moment more easily. The more partners you have involved, the more it is difficult to apply Buddhist fluidity to non-monogamy. Yeah. Or the more complicated your life, the more you have, you know, like kids and other responsibilities, the more these things populate your life, the more it becomes difficult. I agree. I agree. Like, and and I think too, you know, even thinking, you know, I agree with you about like, just, you know, flowing with the water and ebbing and, you know, listening to the book on tape. But I think also, there are some times where like, that motherfucker screaming mm-hmm. serves a purpose, if it's mm-hmm. in perspective and done, like, maybe you intuitively know, like, I just need to scream and let this out because it is like, you know, that pressure cooker. But I also know I'm not going to scream and let it out in a way where it is directed at somebody. It is putting the blame on somebody. It's more of like a cathartic excuse. And I've done this where it's like, okay, Uh, uh, here's an example where totally not a relationship example, but like something is wrong. You know, you, you've, I don't know, booked a trip with the company and then your reservations got canceled and it really like fucked you up and you're calling to like straighten it out and you're really pissed and you get this customer service person on the phone and it's not their fault. They right. get screamed at all day. And there are times where it's like, I'll be so upset. I can feel my voice start or like even like tears, like my face is, I'm so pissed. And I'll be like, Okay, so, you know, um, Jessica, customer service representative, I know this isn't your fault, and I know you didn't do it, but I'm, like, really upset, so I'm going <laughs> to sound really pissed and harsh, but no, it's not directed at you. I'm just really right. pissed at the situation, pissed at your company. And then I'm like, I can't believe this is unacceptable. <laughs> and then I'm 
I'm like, I'm sorry, Jessica. I just had to give up. But you do understand? And they're like, she's like, yeah, I understand. You know? <laughs> and like, and so like, that yeah. just in itself, then she's not defensive. Like this lady is fucking yelling at me on the phone. And, you know, so there are times we need to blow up, but we need to do it in perspective, I think. And okay, so not so hurting somebody wrap, else. Yeah. So So let's wrap this back into non-monogamy and, and look at this like wh- you know if you have an opportunity to just be in flow where you realize that you need to shift in some way in your life like uh, you, you know um and i'm looking at it in a grander sense of not just fluidity within non-monogamy but just trying to be in flow in your life mm-hmm. like maybe maybe you did a psychedelic journey and all of a sudden you're like, I need to change my job and I need to move to another state, you know, or whatever. And you just know that that's what you need to do. Granted, you shouldn't do that directly after a psychedelic journey. You should wait for, but you know, you had this huge epiphany and you need to flow in some direction in your life. um, That's, that's different now, or let's see, I'm trying to, this isn't a perfect example. I'm trying to think of an example. Um, yeah, and, and so and also within the same example, the partner that you have within non-monogamy has been upsetting you and for quite some time. So at, at this point, you have this opportunity to change your career. You've been struggling in your relationship, your non-monogamous relationship for quite some time. So at this point, do you just go with the flow, like Bruce Lee, be like water? Or do you fight for your relationship? Do you, you know, maybe tell your partner they're being a jerk and, and like, you know, I think there's, there's times where we want to fight and other times we want to be in flow. And again, I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about this mindfulness. If you make your choices um, from a grounded place where you're getting in touch with your thoughts, your emotions, your body sensations from a grounded centered place and you're not reactionary and then you know when you're off by yourself and you get to that centered place and in that centered place um you you know you get in felt knowing that you need to fight you know mm-hmm. uh, and again this doesn't always happen this way but this is just ideal is to you know when you notice that you're getting really pissed to step away and to get centered in that in that way and I think sometimes if we're able to do that, we still may fight. We still may come back and 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 yell at our partner or what have you. But at least we're doing it from a conscious way, from a a mindful way, where we're watching the Kate show or we're watching the 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 Bob and Sarah show or uh-huh. whoever. Um, and we make a choice between being in flow or fighting for what we have in our life. Does that yeah. make sense? I know no, I'm rambling it, it, a little bit. No, it absolutely does make sense because. You know, and I don't know, I'm getting like a weird like meta kind of paradox because in one way we're talking about, okay, we're being fluid and we're getting rid of that like rigidity and and yada, yada, yada. And then when we talk about, oh, but going with the flow and if we're always going with the flow in the way in a way that's like very passive and very, isn't that being rigid? Right? I mean, right? There are there are lots of different ways we can individualize or customize going with the flow. Mhm. And again, you could rename rigidity as boundaries. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes rigidity is, is, is toxic. And then other times it's just self-care boundaries and, and creating the structure that we need in our life. Right. So all yeah. of this gets so complicated, you it know? Gets, yeah, it gets complicated. Not only that, I think it's not just hard to recognize the difference between the two on our own, that if we've had any uh, past experiences, like formative experiences or even current experiences in relationships with someone who manipulated those points, you know, mm-hmm. that that you know, maybe we had boundaries that really were, we're being rigid because these are like legit healthy boundaries and they're, they're convincing us that we're just being rigid and those aren't really legit. So it's like, if we have that experience of being, I don't know, gaslit about the difference between those two things, Mm -hmm. of course we, we all don't know. Of course it's hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. It's very interesting. Um, so so let's switch gears. One thing that I think is interesting to think about is fluid relationships versus relationship anarchy, because I feel like there's some similarities and there's some differences. And I, I kind of I was pondering this last night and I'm like, is relationship anarchy almost like a type of fluid relationship? I'm not sure. I mean, like, I, like- I, I look at them as one and the same. I consider myself like like I don't really identify with lots of la- like, I don't go like I'm polyamorous and I'm a relationship. Like I kind of have like a ugh with those labels for lots of different reasons. But if I were to put a label on it, I guess I am a relationship anarchist, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I look at that as being fluid. You know, when I when I think about relationship anarchy, which you know, very quick definition is like all relationships. Uh, like not one type of relationship over another, whether that's romantic against romantic or like parental child versus, you know, relationship with your spouse versus a relationship with a best friend or whatever it is, um, takes priority over another simply based on the societal hierarchy of the importance of that relationship. Um, right. You know, the 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 time spent or devoted or whatever is just based on what it is needs what you know whatever um so to me that that is like fluidity nail on the head but also relate a lot of folks use the term relationship anarchy to kind of be asshole like they kind of twist it you know uh i've heard it described as like really it's more like relationship libertarianism and it always makes me giggle um so i guess it's like what definition of relationship anarchy are we working with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, to me, when I think of the concept of a fluid relationship, it's to me, at least for me, when I think about it for myself, it's more like an intention. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, it dovetails very much with kind of the the spiritual flow that I have right now where I'm, I'm trying to just like, you know, meditate when I can get in touch with, how should I put it? Um, be willing to shift my life in drastic ways, perhaps, if something materializes that feels like it's better in flow for me. I don't know. I don't know if that's confusing or not. But to me, relationship anarchy has all these nuts and bolts to it at this point. Like, um, don't you associate relationship anarchy with the um, relationship smorgasbord? Smorgasbord? Define relationship smorgasbord how are are you meaning that 
Okay. So for people who don't know, you can, um, am I saying that right? Relationship smorgas. Board? I say smorgasbord, but maybe it's not smorg- maybe it's smorgas. I say smorgas, <laughs> but I don't know. Smorgasbord. Yes. So RS, I'll just say that. <laughs> if you were to Google it, you would see all these charts of different things that you can choose. Like, okay, so let's look at our menu here, you know, uh, lover. Uh, maybe we want to have... Um, hot sex but we also want to maybe have a friendship or like it's basically it looks like a menu and you can pick and choose different things from the menu like components of your relationship like components of like components of relationship components basically right yeah Yeah, it's it's very much like looking at a menu and like choosing your meal. Like I want this and then this and a side of that. And, you know, you, you can look at everything that are options and together figure out what you want your relationship to be. I kind of think of that as being part of relationship anarchy. Also, I think of relationship anarchy along with what you said is, is that ability like more of a conscious uh, okayness with potentially flowing from like, say, a marriage to divorce and being just friends, and then maybe flowing into being a lovership, you know, like that kind of uh, okayness with that kind of flow. I think of that as also a little bit of relationship anarchy. Yeah, I look at I look at it differently. And again, like, there is, you know, I'm just reminding listeners, there is no one like this is the definition for everyone. I, this is the customizability because we all mm-hmm. have our own versions. For me, relationship ident- uh, relationship anarchy, if we're looking at the whole pie, we're, mm-hmm. the components of the pie are different relationships with different people. Mm-hmm. To me, it's not different components of one relationship with the same person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, yeah, when I, I look at, for instance, relationship anarchy, I'll look at like my my pie that I'm looking at is, let's say we're that couple having the baby, right? Mm-hmm. It's like me and, and my partner I'm having the baby with and me and my, uh, you know, other partner and me and my metamore and maybe me and my mother and me and my children and me and my best friend and me and my whoever's in my life that I'm having close relationships with. And mm-hmm. then not prioritizing one or the other strictly based on hierarchy like, well, the marriage is always the most important relationship of all. So anytime there's a choice whether to spend time or devote energy, I must always pick my spouse first. Right. It's like, no, maybe based on, uh, you know, needs at the moment or it to me, mm-hmm. it's not really based on equality like you get two days out of my schedule, you get two days out of my schedule. It's more based on equity. Like, Mm -hmm. what are the needs of each relationship right now? And that dictates how, I don't know, the the ratio is parsed out. Maybe my best friend's going through a horrible divorce right now, really Mm -hmm. needs somebody. And it's like, that is going to become the priority relationship in my life right now, based on like the collective needs of the whole pie. Right. Yeah. And not based on, well, she's only my friend and that always takes second fiddle to my husband or something. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. So to right. me, that's what relationship anarchy is. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always heard that too. Yeah. I've just, for some reason, I have it correlated. I have relationship anarchy and the um, 
relationships smorgasbord a little bit linked up in my head. It seems like oftentimes I'll hear those two talked about kind of concurrently. Yeah. And so, may yeah, I've, it feels a little bit similar. Yeah, to me. and I think they're similar, like at least to me. And you know, I'm not the the non monogamy expert, so I'm just going with the the definitions that I kind of know and love and use in my own life. Um, mm-hmm. But the approach or the logic seems similar. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, we do get to custom make the types of relationships we like just because we're in a romantic relationship with somebody doesn't mean like we have to have the sex part and we have to have the oh we're friends and we hold hands walking on the beach and have conversations and we don't have to have like we're raising kids together like we can choose whatever the f we want you know um Mm -hmm. yeah so it's the same same line of thinking i guess to me yeah, I think they're yeah. a little bit different, but um, just in in terms of, I think you can have the intention to have a fluid relationship and have have some, you know, like you could say, okay, I I am going to have some rigidity in my life in the sense that I am choosing this one partner, mm-hmm. right? You know, I'm I'm choosing a nesting partner or a primary partner, but within that, we are going to be fluid, you know, and we're gonna. That's our intention, at least, right? Is is to allow that flow between and anywhere from non monogamy to monogamy, whatever fits for us at any juncture, you know, while we concurrently think of any other partners involved as much as we can. Yeah. Whereas relationship anarchy, um, I think, gets a lot more complex, and it's more it's it, there's a lot more detail in terms of. Um, all the little nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, I, I think of uh, and like all the ways it can a- go wrong and, yeah, <laughs> and become li- relationship libertarianism. And yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and, and for me, uh, although I, I think of myself as an expert in non-monogamy, honestly, there's so many different things that are always coming down the, the pike, and I consider myself more of a uh, how should I say it. Um, uh, you know, like there's sex educators that know all the terms that are coming down the pike every day. I'm more of that person that's organically going to meet with you as a therapist and help you uh, sense into what you need. And, you know, if you have any attachment injuries, I'm going to help you move through those so that you can heighten your ability to have the best non-monogamous relationship. Uh, you can. Uh, but I'm not necessarily the person that's going to have every damn term memorized perfectly. Right, right. Because <laughs> yeah. honestly, I, I I think there's more things, you know, things that are more important. But um, yeah, I feel like this has been a good discussion and certainly we could bounce this around forever. Like yeah. if, if we were at a, a bar dr- having drinks and there was a whole bunch of people there, people could throw, uh, you know, throw into the ring all these different vignettes well how would it work under this circumstance and could it you know we could talk about it all day long regarding uh when it's feasible and and when it's when it's not but yeah. at the end of the day i think it it just reveals how challenging non-monogamy can be really challenging and it requires so much you know like we're talking about the self-awareness the be able to like meta communicate the 
recognizing like these are emotions and emotions aren't always like logically rational, but they are also very fucking valid and real versus here is like the logic of the situation, you know, from a more, uh, I don't know, cognitive standpoint. Yeah. That's all so hard. And, and once somebody, you know, the theoretical somebody can get a handle on those things, it's a transferable skill. You know, we we transfer that from our relationships to how we operate at work, to our kink life, to our, you know, it goes on and on and on and on. Um, this is yeah. such, so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, I think one final thing that might be interesting to think about is like, what is the 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 benefits and maybe the con- cons of a fluid relationship and the benefits and the cons of a more rigid relationship? You know, like a, a fluid relationship I or a relationship that leans towards being more fluid, I think, has the more opportunities for growth, but potentially could be a little bit more chaotic. Um, they, it probably create, it probably requires more emotional intelligence and it probably requires, uh, more experience. Right. And it seems like a more rigid relationship, like swingers or what have you, um, a benefit can sometimes, especially if you're scared or nervous, like it can create some structure where you know what the rules are. You kind of know what's going to happen or what's not going to happen in advance a little bit more. But then again, it it may hamper your ability to grow and it might hamper your ability to be truly authentic for who you are in any given time in your life. Mm -hmm. Like, what what would you say? Do you have any thoughts about the pros and cons? I absolutely agree. You know, scenario number one is you have the opportunity to grow, but growth doesn't come without making mistakes, making missteps, journeying into the unknown, doing things that are scary, uh, you know, all of that stuff with growth. Growth is painful and messy and has the potential to really like, you know, go awry and kick you in the ass. And that's the risk that you take to grow. Um, And and not saying that that's always the better way, because sometimes those missteps when you're working on growing can really be a bad deal to deal with, you know? So yeah, the more rigid rules, you don't have as much opportunity for growth, but you don't have as much opportunity for something to really get fucked up, like major life decision kind of fucked up. So it's a, it's a, like a risk profile. Mm-hmm. Really? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a right. give and take, and it everyone's going to pick a different place along that spectrum of risk versus growth. Yeah, yeah, and, and and so you know, listeners, you can probably see how we kind of got even broader from the original definition that I read um, that comes from my book, um, but it can get this big, you know. I started out with a definition that's more about just being fluid from. Uh, the more extreme monogamous relationship all the way down the continuum to the more extreme non-monogamous relationship and just fluid, just inherently allowing that kind of fluidity of, you know, fluidity from that spectrum. But then there's all these other ways to be fluid as well, which we've yeah. been kind of bouncing around in this conversation. I think good imagery to close it up is like when we talk about spectrums in our minds, we think of like from back 
back and forth from left to right, from, you know, extreme mm-hmm. to not extreme. But when we talk about fluid, fluid, that's a big old pool of water. And you could <laughs> float anywhere. And it's 3D. You can be deep, shallow, left, right, diagonal, anywhere in that <laughs> pool. And that's that's a lot. That is not your professor giving you three subjects to pick from for your final research paper. <laughs> All right. So I I wonder if people listening to this are have uh, some clarity or if they're more confused than when they first started to listen. I'm I'm hoping this at least that uh, when people listen to this, it'll give them some things to think about, especially if you're new in Mm non-monogamy, you know, give people some things to chew on because how non-monogamy can show up in your life can really change over the course of a life. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, what your intention is related to rigidity or fluidity. Mm -hmm. Agree. Yay. So. All right. That was a lot. That was a lot to chew on. Um, Until next time, continue to chew and chew and chew and chew and tweet us and hit us up on Instagram and let us know your thoughts and... Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. You know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community. Or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American Fucker stickers, and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American Sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late stage capitalist hellscape, well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, Kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount and it helps us too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.